Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. 1 Samuel 15. Uh, Let's pray as we get started. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the scripture that we have that teaches us your heart and your desires in our life. Father, may we understand it today and and get out of it what you want us to and apply it to our lives. Um, The lesson we learn. Christ, we pray. Amen. In the previous chapters, we've seen that Saul um, has been called to be the king of of Israel. Um, He's been anointed. Uh, but even from, a, from a early on, he's had some mistakes that he's made. He's, he's not done things correctly each time. Um, one point like last week or the week before talked about how he was waiting on Samuel to arrive before the offering of sacrifice. And it was supposed to be seven days, and seven days got there, and then Samuel hasn't arrived, so he did the sacrifice himself. So that, as soon as he finished, Samuel arrived. So that, he wasn't waiting on the Lord there. Uh, last week we talked about, or Shane talked about how he made a rash decision to, to put to death whoever was, was going to eat. He wanted to make sure that the, the kingdom, uh, the, war, the battle he had was finished first, and anybody that ate was going to put to death, and ended up being his son Jonathan, and the people um, intervened for Jonathan, and, and he was spared. So a rash decision by, by Saul. And we've got some, another decision we're going to talk about today that he's made. He didn't complete what the Lord had tasked him with. Um, so we see a series of bad decisions, and we see at the end of chapter 14 that, that Saul has um, had ongoing battles, and especially with the Philistines, and he surrounded himself with strong men, uh, with valiant men who uh, he thinks would be uh, able to help him out in times of battle. So, so he's trying to prepare himself for these things, and which is, is the right thing to do, uh, but his decisions are not always the best decisions. Uh, when we get into chapter 15, uh, we come to a, a point where Samuel is coming to Saul and saying that the Lord has anointed you to be king. The Lord has done all these things. He's brought you to this point. Now there's a, a, something that the Lord has for you to do. Uh, the Amalekites were a group of people that um, fought Israel after they left Egypt. Uh, they, they had fought them. They had battled the Lord's people, and the Lord uh, did not like that. So the Lord is going to judge them because of that, and he's using Saul at this point to, to fulfill that judgment. Uh, the Malachites were, uh, Amalek was the grandson of Esau. So if you know Jacob and Esau, you know that uh, Jacob was the chosen one, Esau was not. So maybe there's a, a family battle going on that still continued, but this is, this is who the Amalekites are. And if you see the history of them in the, uh, Exodus 17 is where that's found. Uh, but they opposed the people of the Lord that he had chosen for himself, and the Lord would judge them. He's going to use Saul to do that. Uh, it's time to do that, and Saul is the, uh, the means of this judgment. Um, if we look in, in verse 3, um, we, we can pick up here. It says, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, and ox and sheep, camel and donkey. This isn't, this isn't um, an unclear way that... that God has said to do this. God says to devote to destruction, to kill them, to annihilate them, to wipe them out. 
This wasn't uncommon. This is what the Israelites were supposed to do whenever they went into the promised land was to, to wipe them out so they wouldn't go after those gods, so they wouldn't intermarry. It was the judgment on the people that, that didn't follow God. And this is a judgment on these people that, uh, that fought God as they came out of Egypt. Uh, so the uh, judgment is on the Amalekites. It's not a means for the Lord to increase the wealth of Israel. It's not that the Israel needed some money and, you know, they go to wipe out the Amalekites and they get some extra money and they can, can, can pay for the things they need to pay for. It's not for Saul to increase his wealth. It's not anything to do with the prosperity or, or the, uh, the benefit of Israel. This is the Lord's judgment. There, was, there were those who opposed the Lord, and this was a judgment against those folks. And so that was the, the intention of the Lord. Uh, but, the amount, but the Israel didn't see it that way, and Saul didn't see it that way too, it seems. Uh, it's not to benefit the individual people, but to wipe them out. So Saul prepares for battle, uh, but in the pre- preparation, he realizes the Kenites are with the Amalekites. The Kenites are a group of people that were friendly to Israel. Uh, Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite. And so Saul warns them, tells them, get out of here, this is fixing to happen. So they leave, and then Saul is, is ready to, to start the battle. Um, in Saul's attack, it wasn't just a, a small area um, like between Covenant and Mumford. This, this area ranged over 1,000 miles, or around 1,000 miles. It gives two cities that are listed here. And there's a thousand mile distance between those places. Gilgal and, um, I can't remember the other city, but was, there's a distance there of a thousand miles. So this is a wide range attack. It's a wide range battle. It's not something that happens overnight. It's going to be something that, that's going to last for a little while. It's an overwhelming victory based on the, the description that the Bible gives us, based on how Saul described it. But there were some things that they, that they didn't do that they were supposed to. The Lord gave a commandment. And they almost followed it, but that's not what the Lord had desired. Desired total annihilation of the people. That's not, that's not what happens. So we look at verse 9. It says, But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the ox, and the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So the... the command of the Lord was to devote everything to destruction. But they spared some things. So did they follow the Lord's command? No, they didn't. Even though they got mostly the, most of the way there, there was a part that they didn't follow, and so they disobeyed the Lord in this sense. Saul did as well. Uh, and by outward appearances, the Malachites were destroyed as a people, but it wasn't the case from the Lord's perspective. You go, you go through the countryside, see where the Malachites were, they're gone. They're wiped out. But uh, it wasn't a total annihilation as the Lord had, had, had told them to do. They did almost what the Lord commanded, but they fell short of the standard that he set. And what is this when we fall short of the standard? It's a sin. It's a Saul's sin, people's sin by not obeying the Lord as well. But ultimately, it comes back to Saul because he's the, he's the king. He's the one that people ask for. He's the one that the Lord deals with uh, as they're over the, the people now. Saul sin and disobey the Lord. So, so that's, that's something that Saul did back then. Saul sinned, and there was, there's consequences for that. We'll get to that. But today, what is it called? When we, there's a standard that God has set up for us, and we don't meet that standard. That is sin as well. In our lives, we, have, we deal with sin. In our lives, the Lord has called us to be holy and to be uh, pure in His sight and to, to obey Him, but we fall short of that standard. 
The standard is Christ. Today we have the standard of Christ. Then there was the standard was to follow the Lord's will that's commanded the whole, the whole point. Today is to follow Christ and to, to be a, have a righteousness that he requires. And if we don't meet that standard, it's sin. Now sin can be in different, a couple of different ways. It can be a sin of commission, the things that we're doing. There's a sin that, I, that I'm actively doing or actually even thinking about. There's also sin of omission, the things that we don't do, commission and omission. The things that we know we should do, but we don't do those things. Maybe it's witnessing to someone. Maybe it's um, spending some time in prayer. Maybe it's praying for your pastor. Those things like that that, that we're called to do. The Lord has called us to do those things, and, and that is the standard today. Christ is the standard. So is there a, a way to live, a standard whereby we're judged? Yes, it's Jesus Christ himself. When it comes to the question of salvation, we need to have the Lord's perspective here as well. Salvation isn't found in being good. Salvation isn't found in being a pastor's child or deacon's child or the founder of a church. Those things are not the standard. Christ is the standard and perfection is the standard, and that's Christ. Jesus is the, the only way that we can, can meet this standard. So we see um, in verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Um, we see Samuel's response here. He became angry because of Saul's disobedience, and he cried out to the Lord in his distress. Now, we also hear in the Bible that we're to be angry and sin not. And so I believe Samuel fulfilled this here because his sin was not about an offense that was about him. If somebody says something about me and hurts my feelings, I may get mad and get angry and I'm offended. And so I'm sinning because it's about me. But in this case, Samuel's offense, Samuel's anger is based on Saul's disobedience to the Lord. It's not about Samuel. Samuel was the one who delivered the message, but it wasn't about him. It was about the Lord had given the commandment. Saul was the leader. Saul was the one who's supposed to fulfill it, and he didn't fulfill it. And so Samuel is angry at Saul because of this. There's also a response that we see in Samuel that often we don't find in ourselves when we become angry. Let's look at, at the verse again. It says in verse, um, verse 11, And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Not crying like he was, had tears because he was sad. This is crying that he was, he was in, in anger, but he was mourning the decision that, Ma, that Saul made. He was frustrated because of Saul. He was um, angry because of that, and he cried out to the Lord. He was in prayer throughout the night. When we get offended, if someone hurts our feelings, how common is it that we to the Lord in prayer over a prolonged period of time. Often we get, we get angry and we lash out. That's a, that's a common response, even for believers, because we're, we still deal with the flesh. We're still living on this world. We're not fully there yet. But we can take example from Samuel's response, cry to the Lord. Seek the Lord in these times, whenever we, we have a, a time that, that causes us anger, to determine whether or not it's the anger that we're supposed to have or it's an anger that, that's a righteous anger for the Lord. We're to, to seek the Lord during these times. And we see Samuel's 
committedness here all night long. And in the morning, he got up and went to meet Saul. It wasn't that he fell asleep, I don't think. He was in, in distress during the night for this decision that Saul made that's, caused, that's been sin. He's offended the Lord. In the morning, he's up, ready to go. Ready to go talk to, to Saul about this decision. Not because he just wants to beat Saul down, but he's, he's the judge of the Lord. Samuel's the judge. And he's there to, to represent the Lord in this situation. So we aren't told that Samuel, what he cried out to the Lord, but that Saul's sin weighed heavily on him. He prayed throughout the night until early morning when he got up and went to see Saul. Um, how often do we have a heart like this? We get offended, we pray to the Lord, and then we go speak to the person that, that's caused the offense. That's how we're to respond. We are to seek the Lord, but then we're to confront the issue at, at hand. There are so many issues that we come across in families, in church life, when there's a, a conflict and it's not dealt with correctly. Either it's brushed under the, the, the rug, which sometimes forgiveness is good. Uh, in those situations, it's good for you to overlook a sin. But a lot of times, if you're, not, if you're overlooking that sin, that doesn't mean you're holding on to that sin and going to judge and have a conflict with them later on. You're forgiving that sin and getting past it. A lot of times, people hold on to these things and they can't get past it. So we have an example here of how to deal with it. Pray to the Lord and go deal with it to get past these situations as we see Samuel dealt with it here. Um, may we have a heart like Samuel as we care for those who are around us. Not only... Um, uh, not only did, did Samuel... Uh, was he angry with Saul, but he also hurt for Saul. We'll see in, in chapter 16, um, the Lord asked, asked Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? So I, I believe he cared for Saul. He, he, he was the man that God had set up to be the king of Israel, and he cared for Saul. And he, he used to go to him and, and, and to, to give him the word from the Lord, but, but it changed after this situation here. Um, have you ever witnessed someone treating another person with contempt, harshly or without showing respect? Were you angered by it? So we may witness these things in our lives. Maybe it's a, a child how to speak to another child, a sibling. Uh, maybe, um, maybe it's someone speaking to your, your wife or to your husband in a way that's disrespectful. How is our heart as we deal with those things? And we need to, to make sure we try to follow Samuel's example there. Uh, usually it's someone's wronged me, and so we're angry, that's, that's worldly. But Samuel, uh, his perspective was that Saul wronged God. He disobeyed God, and so that's where his anger came from. In verse 11, we also get a glimpse of the Lord here, his, his heart. Um, it says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me. Um, if God is omniscient, and he is, the Scripture teaches, he knows all things, how can he have regret? This is a decision that he made. It's a tough thing for us to deal with. How can God have regret if he's omniscient and and all powerful, he can do everything he wants to, but he's, he has regret here, the Bible is telling us. Is it that if God were able, he would change his mind and do something different if he did it again? No, it's not that. Is he shocked by the behavior of Saul? No, he's not shocked by that either. One person said it this way, it's simply a symbolic way of asserting that man's conduct did not meet the divine standard. This language vividly portrays from a human perspective God's displeasure Saul's rebellion, and our rebellion. The Lord doesn't desire these things. The Lord doesn't um, want to see a sin. 
didn't want to see Saul sin, but but he he, um, he regretted that. Not that he would change what he did. And why would he not change it? Because that's the plan that he has. This is just a small part of God's plan of salvation. God's plan goes all the way to us and past us. God's plan is looking ahead to Christ. Not just Saul and taking care of the Malachites. That's just a part of it. But it's beyond that. So God wouldn't change what he's doing because what he has done is allowing us to get to where we are, to where we get to Christ. It's there to to show the people, this is what you got. You chose an earthly king over me as as your, your godly king. This is, the, this is a consequence of, of their decision, and God would not change what he's doing. He wouldn't do anything different. Um, his judgment is right. And he's do, he does no wrong. God chose Saul fully aware of the successes that we have and the failures. It's no surprise to God, and he wouldn't have chosen another route if he had only known how it would turn out. No, God knew how it would turn out. This was the plan. He didn't cause Saul to sin, but, but he, um, and it hurt um, that as best as we understand uh, for us to be able to understand how God understands it. In God's sovereignty, God knew this would happen and yet he would not change his course of action because he's working toward a great salvation that we have in Christ. He's using this to demonstrate to his people and to the world that he will, will put in place a man after God's own heart. Saul was a man that people looked at and said, yeah, he's a, he's a great leader. Look how big he is. Look how good he looks. He's the one we want. But God doesn't look at the outward appearance as man does. God looks at the heart. God's looking at, at Saul's heart. It's not what God wants. God finds David as a man after God's own heart. So bring forward to where we are. In us, what does God desire? Not someone that's all kept together because uh, he wants to impress everybody. Not someone that, that has it all together. We don't. But God desires our heart to be after him. We, we, want, we need to be a people uh, that are after God's heart, like David was. He would put in place a man after God's own heart, and we know eventually that's, that's David and the next king, but even beyond this, the plan of salvation is found in Jesus Christ. This is just a part of us getting to that place. Even way back here, when Israel got their first king, God was working us toward Christ. But we can go back further than that. Genesis 3.15, we come back to that verse it says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is in the garden. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. The plan of salvation doesn't start in New Testament. It starts in Genesis right after the fall. God's plan wasn't a second option. This was God's plan for the beginning. This was God's plan from the beginning. It wasn't something that God said, well, let me, let me try another plan. Um, God is above and beyond the immediate circumstances of Saul. He's above and beyond the immediate circumstances that we find ourselves in. He has a plan, and even Saul or us in our disobedience will not change that plan. Our salvation is found in Christ alone, not our circumstances. And when we sin, that doesn't change God's mind on the matter either. Um, Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So regret isn't mean that God is rethinking his decision. Man, I blew it with Saul. 
that I would obviously choose someone else. It's just a, a way for us to understand his displeasure with Saul's decision. The Lord in his omniscience can have regret for something that he himself caused to happen, and all the while knowing it would happen, yet still in his sovereignty, he would choose the same path again. I heard someone say this a year ago or more. God's not disappointed that he saved you. In our salvation, in the forgiveness of our sins, when we put our faith in Christ, we're going to blow it. We're not perfect because we're still here on the earth and we haven't, we're not there yet. We're not sinless. We sin less because our, our focus is Christ and our desire is to be like him, but we're not there yet. But God's not disappointed in his salvation he's provided for us. That's the point of salvation is that, that we can't make it. And we can't make it, that means God made it for us. And that means that he gets the glory. Glory doesn't come to us for salvation. We don't look at ourselves and, and say, man, I'm saved. I'm glad I'm not like them. Oh, I'm so much better. No, it's like, I'm them. But God has pulled me out of that. God's pulled me out of the pit. God's, God's rescued me from my path to hell. And God's put me in a right relationship with him. My sins are forgiven. He's given me his righteousness. And now I'm a new creature that, that follows him. And I love him. And I don't desire those things. We still fall into them. But the Lord is bringing us back out uh, continually. That's, the, that's the, the, the great salvation that we have. He's done the work. He gets the glory. Uh, so the Lord was displeased with Saul's rebellion, his sin, and the result was that the kingdom was torn from his hands. He sinned. There's a consequence for that. Just like the, the Amalekites sin, there's a consequence. And the Lord has done this uh, to Saul as well. Uh, when Samuel went to meet Saul, he found that Saul had built a monument for himself. He'd won this victory supposedly won this, this great victory, and he built a monument for himself. So instead of giving the credit to the Lord, giving, giving glory to the Lord for this victory, Saul is, is kind of looking at himself. He's wanting some accolades for himself. Um, and Samuel's response is great. Went, uh, in verse... Let me find the verse... That's the bleeding of the sheep. If you see it, tell me. <laughs> Here it is, uh, verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, for I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said that they have brought them from the Malachites, but the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord God. So he comes up, and he, this response is great. If you've done all these things, what's this I'm hearing in the background? I hear sheep. They should be destroyed. I'm hearing oxen. They should... They should not be here either. Um, saving the best things to sacrifice to the Lord is what Saul explained. Was this what the Lord had commanded? No, to destroy everything. In our lives, we can think we know what's best. We can think that, man, this, this doesn't feel right. But when we, when we read the Word, our feelings contradict what the Word says. And so when those things happen... We can't go with our feeling. We've got to go with what the Word teaches. The Word is true. The Word is faithful. Our feelings are fleeting. We, can, we may not, as a believer, we may feel like the Lord doesn't love me today. Something bad's happening. That's not the truth because the Scripture doesn't teach that. The Scripture teaches that He loves us and He won't forsake us, won't abandon us. So our feelings can get in the way. 
our decisions can can be contrary to what the Lord has wanted, and this is what Saul has done. They've they've done what they thought was right, um, and Saul has done what he thought was right, but it wasn't what the Lord commanded. Uh, they saved the best things to sacrifice to the Lord, but destroyed everything else. After listening to Saul for a little bit, I could picture Samuel coming up to him and Saul explaining everything he's done right, and Samuel already knows what's happened. The Lord's told him. And he said, be quiet. Let me tell you what the Lord told me. It tells him to be quiet, that he wants to tell what Saul what the Lord said. Saul tries to claim that he followed the commandments, but the people did this thing. And even as he's bringing, um, is explaining that King Agag was saved as well. They're celebrating the victory of conquering the Malachites and enjoying the spoils of victory, but they neglected the part of the commandment that says destroy everything. Saul and the people decided that they knew what was better than the Lord did. Now, they saved the best, supposedly sacrificed for the Lord, but they did. They destroy the undesirable things. Now, at face value, it seems like this is a good thing. They're making a sacrifice to the Lord. We, we want to give the Lord the best thing, so we're going to sacrifice to Him. But they've disobeyed the Lord in doing this. Um, the most important perspective is the Lord's perspective in these situations, in any situation. Not their perspective, because we want to do what's, what's good. We think this is better than killing them. We'll sacrifice to the Lord. It's better to do what the Lord said. Um, he'd been given instructions which were not followed. What about us today? Are there things in our lives that we know the Lord has commanded us to do, but we neglect those things or outright refuse to do them? Husbands, are you loving your wives? Christ loved the church. Wives, are you respecting and submitting to your husbands? Children, are you honoring your parents and your attitudes and actions? Employees, are you working for your employer? as though you're working for the Lord? Fellow believer in Christ, are we putting Christ first in our lives? And I'm not asking these questions because I'm doing all this. I'm not there. But this is what we're called to do as Scripture. We're called to follow the Lord, uh, not, not our own understanding of things. It's, it's His understanding, His perspective. Are we loving each other so that when people look at us, they know that we are His disciples? This is how all men will know your mind is that you, the way you love one another. What about relationships? Are we mending relationships? Are we doing what we can to live at peace with everyone? It's part of the Christian life. These are the things that we, we do, the things we're called to do, because that's what's in the Scripture. We're called to do these things. We're to, to yield ourselves and our lives to what Scripture teaches. So we see in verse 22 and 23, Samuel's response to, to Samuel's proclamation of he's done um, what he's supposed to do. Verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For the rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He, also, he has also rejected you from being king. Think about, just an example, us as parents, um, I got five kids, so it's uh, it's a, a lot of a lot of kids. <laughs> we we desire kids to do what we ask them to do, right? I I've, I've given you a task to do, do it. If they don't do that and say, "Well, I did this instead," we may be thankful that they've done something else, but it's not what we asked them to do. So our desire was for them to do what we asked them to do. Now, we are, as parents, we're not perfect. 
I'm, I'm not a perfect parent. I, I fail in many, many areas. But the Lord is perfect. The Lord has given commandments to Saul, and that was to be fulfilled. And he didn't do it. And he gave an excuse that, well, we, we thought this would be good for us to do this. It's, it's kind of what he's doing. Um, and God took it so seriously that it cost Saul the kingdom. Now, many, many of you parents here, your kid does that, and you discipline them, and that's, that's right. Uh, I'm not, I'm not the, the best parent, so I don't always fulfill those things like I should. Uh, but the, the Lord is not slack in, in fulfilling His promise to, to discipline His children. When we sin against the Lord, He'll discipline us. If we're not being disciplined by the Lord for our sin, maybe we're not His. Maybe you're not a child of God if you're not feeling conviction of the Spirit or the Lord's not, not working on you about some sin in your life, in my life. Uh, today, similar to the situation uh, with Saul, people often do what they think is best rather than what God has commanded. God said there's one way that our sins can be forgiven. Not a multitude of ways, not, not Oprah's description of many ways to God, but there's one way that our sins be forgiven, that's through Jesus Christ. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't deny yourself enough to, to get to heaven because you're in self-denial. You can't be forgiven your sins because of your father is a believer or your mother is a believer. God doesn't have grandchildren. God has children. That means that he is our father. If you're a believer, he's your father. But he's not your father just because he's your mother or father's father. It's an individual thing that we, we come to the Lord with. You can't get into heaven because you're better than someone else that you know or because you didn't kill anybody. Now, often we see in, in business world nepotism. Anybody know what that is? Well, I know somebody, my uncle works at the, at the company, so I got a job now because my uncle. That's not always bad, you know, because maybe your uncle, maybe you need a job and your uncle works somewhere and you need a job. But it, the companies aren't supposed to be doing those types of things. But essentially, that's how we get into heaven. We know Christ. We've been forgiven of our sins. We put our faith in Him, and we know the Son. So that's, that's how I'm in heaven. And, but being in heaven is not the main goal. The main goal is glorifying Christ, is recognizing who God is, recognizing His glory and, his, and being in awe of who He is, and that resulting in us recognizing our sin and how bad it is, and then looking to Him for salvation on the cross. But we're all, if you're a believer, kind of a, a beneficiary of nepotism. We know the Son, so we're in. But that's no, no thing to brag about other than in the Lord. Nothing about us. Uh, verses, verse 29 emphasizes the Lord is committed to what He's going to do. Verse 29 says this, And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. We just talked about the Lord regretted, but now this is verse saying that the Lord's not going to have regret. So we've got to do something with that. It's the understanding of, that the Lord's dis, displeasure of Saul's decision. The Lord doesn't want Saul to sin here. The Lord doesn't, didn't put Saul there so that he would sin. But the Lord knew it would happen. The Lord's displeased with it. Though Saul seemingly appears to repent, probably in hopes that having the kingdom uh, of not having the kingdom taken from him, 
Samuel emphasizes that the Lord will continue with his plan and not change his mind in the matter like man might. We might change our mind if, if we, you know, Saul continually asked um, Samuel, forgive me, come on, help me, help me get rid of this sin. And eventually Samuel comes back to him, but, it, but the Lord has made his decision. Um, though it was also mentioned earlier in the same text that the Lord regretted making Saul king, we see the Bible saying that the Lord will not have regret as though he were a man. So the regret mentioned earlier is attributing to God the feeling of mankind over rebellion of Saul's sin, not indicating that he was changed his mind, that he would do something differently if he had only known. The Lord's plan will continue, and it continues today about faith in Christ and, and salvation is in Christ alone. Uh, this, this chapter ends with King Agag being brought to Samuel, and um, it seems kind of funny to me. It's not really funny about what happens to him, but um, I kind of wrote this way. If, if it was somebody today who came to, to Samuel, he might say this, Hey, bro, no hard feelings about my people being killed by Saul. We good? This is over. You know, we, we, I'm, all my people are gone. We good? And what's the result? Nope. Samuel hacks him to pieces. Finishing the, the judgment of the Lord on the, on the people. Ultimately, sin is against God. Our sin is against God. Samuel's sin against, was against God. Or Saul's sin was against God. And Samuel's too. He wasn't perfect. Um, and Malachite's judgment was fulfilled through Samuel obeying the Lord. Samuel no longer went to see Paul after this. Different versions say that they no longer saw each other. Um, but, but the there was another instance where Saul came and was prophesying in front of Samuel. Not that Samuel was, was ministering to him, but they were in the same area. Uh, they doesn't say, indicate that they spoke or anything. Um, but understanding is that Samuel no longer went to be the spokesman of God to Saul. Saul was out. Saul, right then he didn't lose his kingship, but, but essentially he did. That's where he lost his, his kingship is where he disobeyed the Lord. Uh, for the Lord had chosen another king. We do get a glimpse, of, again, of Samuel's concern in Saul in chapter 16 when the Lord asked how long he was going to mourn for Saul. But the Lord had other things for Samuel to do, so he continued to follow the Lord. Samuel no longer went to, to meet with Saul and, and to give him guidance. So application, how do we apply this today? To obey the Lord is better than sacrifice. Obedience to the Lord is what we're called to. Obedience to the Lord in our daily lives Ultimately, obedience to the Lord and recognizing who Christ is, repenting of our sins, and putting our faith in Him. That is the glory of the Lord. That is the, the glory that God has, has had from the beginning. That's the glory He's revealed to us through Christ. Not just that the Christ died on the cross, but He lived a, a perfect, holy, sinless life up until the cross and didn't sin there. And the, the righteousness that Christ has that life of living righteously is applied to us by faith when we put our faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross. And the sin that we bring to the cross was put on Jesus at the cross. So there's a, there's a transaction there that happens. What a mighty, a great salvation that we have in Christ. We don't have to work for our own salvation. Christ has done the work. We work because we're saved. We've been saved and now there's, there's tasks that the Lord has called us to do. Number two, sin is consequences that will be judged, so we need to have the Lord's perspective about sin. In our lives, 
sin is serious. It's been paid for by Christ, yeah. But if we take a blatant attitude towards sin and, and we don't care about it, the Lord cares about it, it costs Christ his life. But if we have a blatant attitude about sin, we don't care, it's just no big deal, I'm saved, once saved, always saved. That's what you hear about Baptist churches. And that's true, but it's better to say, once you're saved, you will always be saved. Once you have this security of salvation, you won't lose it. Not that you're basing everything on this decision you made when you were eight years old, but what is happening today. If I was saved then, I'm saved now. We will continue. There's a perseverance of the saint that we, that we understand. So that, that phrase isn't always helpful. Uh, and number three, we, we need to truly repent of our sins. If you're a believer, you've repented of your sins, you've put your faith in Christ, but if you're not a believer... We need to see God's perspective on sin. Sin is against God. He's holy and righteous and just, and he can't overlook sin. That sin has to be paid for. And that sin will be paid for either by you or in all eternity, or it was paid for by Christ on the cross. The holy, without blemish, Lamb of God, paid for on the cross. So it needs to be dealt with. We need to, to repent of our sin. Sin is evil and worthy of being punished. And What a great salvation we have in Christ. Not a salvation that we have to work for. It's a salvation that has been purchased by Christ. And because of that, we want to work. We want to do things for the Lord. Not to, not to attain it, but because we have it. So if you have not put your faith in Christ, I implore you, Recognize sin for what it is. Recognize God for who he is. He's holy and just and will not be in the presence of sin. And so that means that if you've got sin, you won't be there unless there's someone that can mediate for you. And that's what Christ has done for us on the cross. So if you haven't put your faith in Christ, do that. If you have, thank the Lord for the salvation that we have. It's, it's such a a weight is lifted off of us. There's a joy that we have in Christ, even in difficult times. There's um, a hope that we have in Christ that this world is not it, and there's things better coming. And that thing that's better is, is salvation and eternity with Christ in heaven. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.